This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. One Night Stand. Hey, c'est condition ça qui t'est passé. Just One Night Stand. Avant toute bagaille t'est commencé. One Night Stand. Pas pensé que c'est ton... This is One Night Stand. What up, Night fans? It's Wednesday, September 23rd on this week's show. We're joined by a very special guest, Squints, to recap the Georgia Tech game and talk about the major differences from last year's team to this year's team. And we take a look ahead at this Saturday's, whoa, this just in, move to noon on ABC, not ESPN+, Plus. this Saturday's noon game at ECU. Whoa, another this just in, Blake Bortles is back. Sign with the Broncos. We'll talk about that for a little bit. Speaking of back, we have the return of Meanwhile to the West. Spoiler alert, it ain't pretty. And like always, Money Moose Picks, Moose Mailbag. Speaking of, I'm here with... Money Moo, UCF, overcame the first sting by the Yellow Jackets before I could even get down my first beard. Led by career days from QB1, Dylan Gabriel, and Marlon, the real Six Williams. The Knights forced five turnovers and a bend-but-never-break defense shot the Knights to a 49-21 victory to go 1-0 again. Alright, where do we start? There's a lot. I guess overall takeaways, what was your main one? Mine was that and we talk about this with squints later, but DG has just made huge strides. This was a career game for him. Hype is kind of uh, taking the leash off of him. He's allowed to run. I mean, the third play of the game was a design run. Fourth down, next play, we go for it. Another run, which just didn't exist the first half of last year. I just feel like he's made huge strides from year one to year two. And, uh, with a full off season under his belt, he's just really, really doing well. What were your big takeaways from the game? I think the weapons that he has, uh, losing Gabe Davis, obviously, congratulations to Gabe Davis. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think losing weapons like AK and Gabe Davis, you wanted to see the Knights not miss a step with the next man up mentality. And they didn't disappoint. A lot of people hyping up Marlon Williams for this year. That was his going to be his breakout year. And what do you know? 10 for 154 and a couple of touchdowns. Trey Nixon yeah. had two touchdowns too. Unfortunately, the second one was the collarbone injury. But he was kind of looked like the main target for DG until he, he got injured. And then obviously, like you said, next man up mentality. But that injury is going to hurt, and uh, there, were, there were a couple of them this game, and also a lot of injuries in the NFL, too, um, so I don't think it's just college exclusive. I just think the lack of practice, you know, less conditioning and all that is taking a toll on us, and, you know, we, we hope for the best for Trey, McCray. Um, I think Collier was down a couple times. Uh, hopefully these guys can, can, can get back. Another takeaway I had from the game was <laughs> I just can't believe it happened. I mean, I know when we were there in Atlanta, it felt, you know, it's like, all right, it's, it's real. But if you rewind maybe two, three months ago, and we're talking about uh, the domino effect and who's going to cancel first and all that. And then even leading right up to the game, every week there's been games that have been canceled. 
and I just tweeted this out, but be prepared. We're probably going to lose a game at some point. But anyway, long story short, I can't. Due to COVID. Can't... Due to COVID. Due to COVID. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. We, we made built... it seem like we were going to lose. No. Well, a game. A... <laughs> so what's funny though is we're actually the best fan base to have games canceled or postponed because it happens every single year to us. So we're actually kind of used to it. Now everyone else has to deal with it. Um, starting off the game, huge kickoff return for Georgia Tech. What was your kind of mindset? How were you feeling after that? You know, they they return it almost into the red zone, go up seven nothing. What was your panic meter set at at that point? I would say it like a two. I thought, ah, well, you know, it's going to be a very long game because we can score in you know thirty seconds as well. So mm-hmm. I really didn't think it was a big deal. The only panicky time was when it was they scored the third touchdown to bring it within one score. And I had like nightmares of Pittsburgh. Ooh, <laughs> I know. But then, but then we again. scored, but then we, we shut that up. Pretty yeah, quick. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple other guys had a great standout game on the offense for me, Jalen Robinson, a lot of questions Flash. around him, a lot of hype, basically been two years since we've been waiting for, you know, for him to get out on the field. Pretty impressive, I got to say. The speed was definitely there. He had some great plays, and, I mean, he's pretty much everything I thought he was going to be. Six or 105, speedy guy. And um, we're definitely going to need to get on the ball more. And then on the defensive side, I think everyone was impressed with Josh Selesar. I mean, what a game this dude had. Almost had the triple crown. Touchdown, fumble, and... Or no, interception, fumble oh. recovery, and a sack. Pretty sure he didn't have a sack. Can we make a nickname for him? Sellus Car. We actually had no sacks during the game, which is... Really? Yeah, Zippo. I'll tell you what, though, man. Charlton, even though it might not show up in the box score, but he seemed like he was involved in every play disrupting. Yeah, four quarterback hurries. There you go. All by all by Charles. Maybe it is in the Could box score. In sacks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a stat for that. Uh, no, definitely, and you know it's nice to see freshmen stepping up. We've been talking about this for a while. Who's going to fill the shoes of the players that either sat out or graduated? And we weren't worried about you know if it would happen. We were just worried about or wondering who, and this is a great example. This guy had uh, the game of his life, and it's just his first game, so the best is definitely yet to come. Going back to the game, like you said, they made it close for a little bit, but then we kind of pulled away. Five turnovers definitely helped. I mean, if you turn the ball over five times, you don't deserve to win the game, clearly. Starting off, though, and I talked about this with Squints, you know, they they score, and then the next drive, they had first and goal when we forced that fumble. And then the next drive, they had it in the red zone again. I, I don't know. I, I just think we were just kind of knocking off the rust a little bit, and that's good. Good to get that out of the way on the road against probably one of the best opponents we're going to see all year. Now that's over with, and we can be really tuned in and focused. 
for the ECU game this week. Again, just moved to noon on Saturday on ABC. Mike Golick on the call. Notre Dame alum. That game got canceled due to COVID, unfortunately. Uh, All right, so the big thing today was the Dylan Gabriel soundbite about saying we were the best team in Florida in his post game, and then he clarified it yesterday during the press conference, and everyone kind of went crazy about it. How do you feel about that confidence or cockiness with Dylan? Call call what you want. Yeah. I think it's all confidence, and according to the computer ranks, it's true. It's a fact. UCF right now would be favored on a neutral field over every other team in Florida. We're currently eighth in my power ranks, which are the only ones that matter. And um, I think that, you know, we just got to keep stating the facts. It's tough, you know, and we talk about this with squints later, but we can't really put a gauge on Florida right now. I'd like to say we're better than them. I think we are. I know we are, kind of. But it's tough. I mean, they haven't played a game. So a lot's going to change this weekend. Let's go back, though. Let's talk about the trip to Atlanta. So we were in the Blue House. Pretty solid crew. Uh, What were your kind of takeaways from the whole Atlanta experience? You know, last time we were there, we set the bar really high as a fan base with everything that went on, obviously, from what we did to the result of the game. But I think this pretty much lived up to what we were expecting. What did you think? Absolutely. Um, to me, the weather was great. Yes, it was overcast all Saturday, but I, I don't way, feel like a sweat at all. I way overestimated the cold, dude. I brought jackets and sweatpants and all this stuff. I, I, I Saturday morning when I woke up, oh, you know, I was sitting on the porch and I'm like, I'm kind of cold right now. It was chilly that, but then once the sun came up, it was fine. Yeah, as far as like post-COVID game experience. I thought they socially distanced everyone pretty well. I liked we're actually, it. We were actually in the third row of the end zone. Now, <laughs> when, me and Sean, when me and Sean are in the third row, and we see the first two rows open. Naturally, you know, our instinct is to just jump down to the first two rows, but we were told by security and they were actually pretty lenient. Well, for the, th- mo- for the most part, after like, the first four times that he yelled at us and I just didn't listen, I think he gave up because he realized he was just looking stupid trying to tell me. And then the McCray touchdown was awesome, even though we didn't get acknowledged by him. But that's OK. He was excited in the moment. But jumping down and seeing, uh, well, seeing I mean, him run up to us is really cool. If you're a player, I mean, your first instinct post COVID is to not run and jump into the fans. You know, (laughs) hey, you know, if you're an athlete post COVID, your first instinct after you score a touchdown is to not like run and do the Lambo leap into me and use arms. Just dap me up, though. (laughs) That's it. Just dap me up. That's all we wanted. I get it. And plus, their colors are navy and gold, which are close to black and gold. I mean, for all he knew, we were probably opposing team fans. That's true. It was a little confusing, especially after a few beers, trying to figure out who is a UCF fan, who is a Georgia Tech fan. The colors are extremely similar. I haven't seen that much gold since the Texas game in 2007. Yeah, they do 
not shy away from wearing gold. So no, not at all. Anyways, the twenty five percent thing. It's not as bad as it as I thought it was going to be. It's nice. You're spaced out for one. For two, it's not. It's not too spread out where it feels like there's no one there. You could always feel the crowd presence. I think I overestimated it, but I felt like the crowd couldn't really have an impact. I thought I was going to be able to like whisper stuff and the players could hear it. And right. instead, it, it was a good crowd atmosphere. All right, so you're right. It was way louder than I thought it was going to be. The atmosphere was awesome. And I, I'm very excited for our home games now because I know we can replicate and definitely beat the atmosphere that they had there. 100%. I am infinitely more excited about our home games after being at that first game and realizing what about 10,000 fans can do. Because I know... So how many fan, how many UCF fans do you think were there out of the 10,000? I would say maybe 1,000, 1,500. I would say about 10%. So yeah, 1,000, 1,100, whatever. Something in that range, the 1,000 to 1,500 range, definitely. And... Here's the thing. We talked about this last episode. You're not getting casual fans when you're at 25%. You're getting all the diehards, all the people that are yelling anyway. So really, if you think about it, it could just be just as loud. You never know. Another (laughs) positive was the concession lines. I don't know if I was allowed to actually be in this club (laughs) access, but... I was just looking for a bathroom and the doors were open. I walked in all nicely. It was actually the first game that they were allowed to serve beer. I think they Ever. said in like Georgia tech history. So that was awesome. It and was, there was never, never a line for beer the entire game. So kudos to that. I've never been to a football game like that. Um, they go down a lot quicker. when There's no line. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have that line buffer, you know, to make you finish the one before. No, it was awesome. The overall experience was awesome. I'm super stoked for the rest of our season at home. On the same token, though, the Memphis game is going to be very loud. I was there last year. It was probably only 25% at the time in the freezing rain, and it was still one of the loudest games I've ever been to. So kind of goes both ways, but... Definitely excited for our home games. I think we just overestimated the effect that not having a sellout would have. And, you know, in a bleacher stadium, which is kind of like ours, the space is really nice. I get room to maneuver. You're not next to someone. Uh, All good stuff all around. And Atlanta in general. All right, so that's a whole other thing. But Atlanta, COVID just doesn't exist, apparently. And I, I'm not taking one side or the other, but it was just weird. It felt like I was in a different planet or a different century or just a completely other world because there were like no restrictions on anything. And yeah, it was, I feel the same way. It was very weird. And now we're, now we're in a place that's the opposite. The Carolinas are very, very strict. That's why there's no fans allowed at the ECU game. It's just interesting. I don't know. Okay, let's move on to a little poll update. AP poll, we moved up one spot to number 13, dropped to 15 in the coaches poll, but that's because they added the Big Ten. Coaches poll doesn't really matter anyway. Top 25 losses, 
We just had Miami, number 17, over number 18, Louisville. Doesn't really affect us. And the only other top 25 loss was Appalachian State. Tulsa almost upset number 11, Oklahoma State. They were up, I think, like 7-3 to three heading into the fourth quarter. OK State ended up winning 16-7. to seven. And the other big news, Big Ten starts in October. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? I think they just kind of got a free pass on out-of-conference and in-conference. So normally what happens is like everyone beats each other inside the conference. They're not going to have that problem now. Ohio State's going to run the table. They'll be in the championship game versus Northwestern or some crap team, and they'll be 8-0 or 9-0. And you can't really question them making the playoff because they're Ohio State and they've been decent the last few years. But it kind of stinks because it takes up that fourth spot that we kind of had hopes of getting to. I don't know. What are your overall thoughts on all the kind of news that's broken this last week? I just think we need to keep going 1-0. Very There's well really said. There's really nothing that we can do. We can bitch about it forever till the end of time. And we but, will. Um, we just need to keep blowing teams out. And I love it. Love it that hype was... He got a little bit of criticism I saw on some Georgia Tech fan boards that apparently we didn't just kneel it at the end of the game. Uh, we got to get those reps in for the, you know, third and fourth stringers. You know, third and fourth stringers, little Johnny Richardson. Hey, I, got, I need a nickname for him, man, because his two runs were... Nah, I, gotta, I think I can think of something better. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't figured it out let yet. Him, but... let, it, let it marinate. Yeah. Anyway... He had two runs that it was like a 17 yarder and a seven yarder back to back. Talk about exciting. That guy's going to be something to watch again. So anyway, next man up mentality. There's we were just a revolving door of speed and talent at UCF. All right. Next up, let's get to squints in-house analytics guru, SB nation writer, very, very good friend and our best recurring guest. Let's do it. We're here with our good friend, SB Nation writer, analytics guru, Anthony Squints Lenahan. How you doing, man? Thanks for joining. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, kind of weird thing. I didn't know if we'd be talking about football this year, so it's good to be back. I, uh, I've been saying this. I mentally prepared myself for the season to be completely canceled, so anything we get is just a bonus right now. And uh, yeah, we're 1-0. Like you said, I can't believe we're sitting here talking about this. What are your big takeaways from our week one victory versus Georgia Tech? Yeah, I mean, the offense looked absolutely terrific, which uh, coming off the long layoff, a couple of teams that played their first game in week two against the teams that uh, played week one that already had a game under the belt looked a little bit better. So it was kind of a little, I wouldn't say nerve wracking, but it was a, I was a little curious to see how UCF would look going in in their first game against Georgia Tech, who had a game under their belt against a team that is decently solid in FSU. They weren't playing an FCS team or a bottom-of-the-barrel group of five teams. So it was a good good test week one, and, I mean, they look terrific. It's hard to say anything bad about them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, that was a hard-fought win versus FSU, and that game took, like, seven hours, too. So those guys were definitely, like, battle-tested. And I could see how they could have been a little bit of a problem, but I think for the most part we looked – Really, really good. I mean, Dylan Gabriel, Gabriel probably had, I would say, one of the best games of his career, probably besides like Stanford last year. What do you think? I think it was probably his best. Uh, 
I mean, he obviously had the interception and the fumble, but I'm not going to pinpoint on those. I mean, it was career high in passing, and Georgia Tech's pass defense against FSU. FSU has Tamari and Terry, who's one of the most talented receivers in the country, and they absolutely uh, shut him down. So to see what UCF did was able to how they were able to attack downfield against Georgia Tech's pass defense that played pretty solid against a good receiver in Terry uh, was pretty impressive. So. Yeah, and the uh, our receivers look great. Obviously, um, Trey Nixon, I, the injury really, really stinks, but he looked awesome, uh, as expected, as you know, kind of the leading receiver that was coming back for us. He had, the, I think, the first two receiving touchdowns. And then Marlon, I mean, um, what, what are your thoughts about him? He looked yeah, he, absolutely incredible. He He's just... It's hard. I feel like he's like one of the most underappreciated UCF skill guys that they've had like in the last three years. Like a lot of people like to talk about Otis and Gabe and Snelson and Trey Nixon, even like rightfully so. They're obviously all really good, but Marlon's kind of just flown right under the weather. And it's nice to be able to see him kind of get what he deserves because the last five or six games last year, he absolutely lit it up. So it's nice to see him. He played pretty much almost every snap, I believe. So it's yeah, he, ni- nice to see him out there. He balled out, and then also uh, Flash Robinson had a really good game too. I think he started in slot. No, right? he Marlon Marlon started in slot. I was curious to see what they were going to do there, and Robinson stayed on the outside, outside the whole game. He stayed on the – they pretty much keep left wide receiver, right wide receiver the same the entire game because they go so fast. So he was on the left the entire game. And uh, who else – uh, besides, you know, I guess the the big three with Nixon, Marlin, and Flash, who else got the most snaps? Uh, besides the top three guys, once once Trey Nixon went down, uh, Ryan O'Keefe filled in every snap for when they went in ten personnel, and when they were in eleven, it was Harris on the outside. Harris stayed on the outside the entire time when uh, Trey went down, but O'Keefe got a major boost in snaps once. Uh, once Trey got hurt. Once Trey got hurt. I think he had a couple targets. I'm not sure if he had a catch. So what uh do you have any good numbers or stuff we can talk about with Dylan? Or what what are your kind of thoughts about him? Yeah, I mean, he was unbelievable. Uh twelve point seven five average depth of target. So throwing pretty much first and ten, he's throwing past the chains every time on average. Uh six for eleven on twenty one plus yards downfield passes for a one point zero seven EPA per attempt, which is Huge. Un- unbelievable. He had a 0.53 EPA per pass attempt in general, which is very, very, very good. Um, he made seven tight window throws, which are throws that are the receiver and the DB have one yard, only one yard or less of separation. Uh, NFL uses the next gen stats for that. Uh, I kind of just eyeball it. Yeah. So throws where the guy wasn't just wide open yeah, sitting there. Just tight contested catches. Mm-hmm. And Marlin actually had a handful of those, the two touchdown catches he had. And he made another couple catches that were just big man catches. The slot fade to the 10, I believe. He he just jumped over the guy. So those those are great throws to see. They're kind of NFL caliber throws thrown into tight windows. He had a, threw for 510 air yards in total. And he had 422 passing yards for a, a PACR, which is just for, uh, passing yards divided by air yards of 0.827, which... From the guy I got this number from says this is like the number one efficiency stat to tell like what quarterbacks are really good. So it's how often you're converting your air yards into receiving yards. And 
more often than not, it's a very good indicator of how good a quarterback is. He looked really good out there. And another thing that I like too is that he was not afraid to run the ball. We called design runs for him. Um, he just looked more comfortable. It kind of looked like hype took the reins off him completely. I mean, he was just out there doing whatever he wants. And he took a couple of not pretty looking sacks. But I mean, again, you got to remember this kid's like, he's like 19. Yeah. And on the sacks, I mean, they're not all on him. UCF's passing game is so vertical that it's like you need time to throw the ball right. when he's not getting quick hitches on the outside. So when he's reaching that 2.5 second threshold of kind of cube snap to release, it's it's probably a little bit more needed for UCF just because of how vertical they want to go. So kind of the way their offense goes, it's it's not exactly on him. I mean, Georgia Tech was going six in the box against 10 personnel and 11 personnel. So they weren't really changing. It was just they were changing from a one high look to a two high look. But UCF doesn't use the middle of the field in their passing game that often. So it allows kind of the linebackers to just do whatever to kind of free blitz on max protection, which it's going to be hard to block six against seven, six rushers with seven guys every single time. But more often than not, they did. But It'll be interesting to see. I really want to see them go against an elite secondary. That's kind of, you can't just win every one-on-one battle because it kind of seems like UCF is my guy's better than your guy, which is the case for probably every conference game. And 95% most, of our games, most, it'll be one game. power out of, five yeah. games. So it's with a quarterback as accurate as DG is, it's, it's like, it's going to work 99% of the time. But when you play against a team with LSU, like with Derek Stingley on the outside, like it'll be interesting to see, I think. Yeah, hopefully we we get that opportunity. Um, guess we can start whispering playoff. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Who the hell knows what's gonna happen? No, I mean, I, probably in two weeks from now, everything we think we know right now about the season is gonna be out the door. You know, the yeah. Big Ten is gonna start halfway through October. Do a short season, which is kind of smart because I mean, I don't know. Then Ohio State's probably gonna go undefeated, probably make the playoff, and you can't really argue against it because no. they've been good. But it also kind of stinks because. That might be the fourth spot that could have gone to a team like us. Yeah, in the beginning of the year, like in August, it was like, wow, this might actually be UCF's chance to like have a really big year and make the playoff. Not have a really big year because they're obviously still capable of that. But it gave them with the Big Ten and Pac-12 out, it gave them the opportunity to kind of be the fourth conference. Yeah. But then the Big Ten was just like, now we're going to play. So it kind of <laughs> was like. Kind of saw that coming when like. Ryan Day is re- releasing a public statement saying, I want to play against what the, I mean, the, the Big Ten really didn't have a choice, especially watching all, I mean, some games have been canceled, but for the most part, everything's gone smoothly. And yeah, it was like once they saw, they wanted to kind of get ahead of everybody and be like, oh, we're the first conference to cancel and everybody's following us. And then once everybody started playing and it was working out, they were like, well, we kind of could be doing the same exact thing. I think they thought everyone else was going to cancel. Oh, I agree yeah. 100%. And that, that's what I thought, too, uh, at the time. Um, let's go back to the game, though, and talk about the defense. I know uh, we held them at 21, which isn't great, but, you know, obviously we were up pretty big in the beginning. It was never really that close. But what were kind of your takeaways? Uh, I know we had some uh, shoes to fill and D-line and, and cornerback. Uh, overall, what, what did you think about the defense? Yeah, I mean, anytime you let up 21 points and have five turnovers, you can't really complain. And the way UCF plays on offense so fast, it's such a more a high possession game that 21 points to the normal person, it's actually like probably lower. It's like 10. Yeah. yeah. Because they, we of, give them the ball so much. Yeah. And 
like an NFL game's not, they're probably getting half the possessions out of that. And 21 points for an NFL defense is still pretty good. So can't really complain about the points, but Georgia Tech did have a lot of success running, uh, not running and throwing the ball early on, kind of moved downfield. The first drive was pretty easy for them to score. They kind of, I think it was like three run plays. They were at a score. So, and then the next drive, then they had a couple turnovers on just fumble exchanges and plus territory and the missed field goal and then a, a batted interception. So the turnovers are great, but it's at the same time, you, it's it's a little bit of luck to a degree. I, I'm not going to say there's no skill involved in a batted interception, but more often than not, that ball is going to fall incomplete. Just statistically speaking, they're very rarely picked off on tip passes and Two fumbled handoffs are not going to happen against everybody. Right. You can't expect to have five takeaways per game, uh, no matter how good you are. Yeah. UCF's defense, they they were 30th out of 41 teams in success rate against, just which is not very good. It yeah, kind of shows bottom that Georgia, quarter, yeah. Georgia Tech was moving the ball pretty easily. Well, they were. I mean, look at the f- first. Well, first drive is kind of skewed because they ran the yeah. kickoff back so far. But they scored on that. Uh, the second drive, they had first and goal when they fumbled. And then I think the third drive was the missed field goal. But, like, they could have scored touchdowns on all uh, three of their first drives. So, I agree. They were they were moving the ball well. And the I think the turnovers helped make the score maybe not as uh, – or less close than the game actually was. Yeah. I mean, it was 28-21, like, late in the third quarter. So, yeah. One of the biggest underrated things uh, – plays of the game was actually UCF's first drive on offense when Hypo went for it on fourth and one. It was kind of an oversight from everybody. That was in our own territory, right? That was our first drive of the game, I remember. So third down was the design quarterback draw or else he read something, but he took the snap and just ran up the middle and he was about a yard short and then he ran the the read option play or whatever on fourth down and it was an easy first down. Yeah, Um, it was a QB draw on third and three out of empty they gained two yards and then the fourth and one they just kind of hurried it up and I think they snapped that with 30 seconds on the play I mean their offense was going so fast I think every play that was snapped after a play that initiate happened with the clock still running was 30 seconds or more on the play clock which is just insane it was so I, I rewatch every game and as I was you know on the ESPN player the controls you have are fast forward or rewind 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the play was over, I'd hit fast forward 10 seconds and I would miss the next snap. And that'd be after like, I don't know, you know, 15, 20 yard play. And they'd be right up to the uh, line of scrimmage and snapping the ball. And, you know, stuff like that definitely helps slow down the pass rush and uh, tire the defense out. But we look good. And, you yeah, know, UCF Georgia fast. Tech, if you go back and like watch some of the plays that they were going, hurry up. Georgia Tech was way out of position leaving slot guys wide open and stuff but that's just what's going to happen and that's sometimes it. sometimes it looks bad when it doesn't work but lsu it looked very bad because we were giving them the ball back running like 15 seconds off the clock and then the defense was out there the whole time um and you know that's goes back to the whole at some point if it's not working maybe you should try something different thing but that that was a fiestable two years ago so we don't have to get into that uh let me think what else um I think, I mean, overall, pretty, just a good, complete game by us. Like you said, could have had some rust coming out. I think we might have seen that a little bit, even though the defense had a lot of takeaways. Georgia Tech moved the ball well, but they're also a good team. Sims is good. Uh, yeah. I mean, and he's tough, too, man. He took some hard hits. Oh, that hit by Richie Grant. Yeah. 
And he took one on like the first drive of the game too that was pretty hard, and he got right up. Uh, looking forward, so ECU this week, they've always kind of, well, let's see, two years ago was the MAC game. Last year, I think we let them score some points, though. Yeah. They've I, always kind of given I, us a little I, bit I of trouble. I think UCF went up big last year, and ECU kind of came back. I mean, they're like a sneaky good, not good team, if that makes sense. Record-wise, they're normally not good, but yeah, they was, have a decent team. It was 35-6 to six at halftime, and then the game ended up being 41-28, which was a late score to make it yeah, still I, a two-score game. Yeah. Definitely not a pretty-looking box score, and that's going to happen when you get up on these teams, and that's why I'm not betting on UCF minus like 27 this yeah. week because... On the road, too. Yeah, especially they're strict there in the Carolinas. It's going to be no fans, and... Apparently, that gave us trouble last year at Tulsa because it was, like, eerily quiet. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, they've got their quarterback. Holton Ehlers. Yeah. He's decent, right? Yeah, it's his third year now. I think he was playing as a true freshman. I think the first game he ever started was actually the against, game. against UCF. Yeah. And he's kind of a – he's one of those dual-threat guys that's more of, like, a Tim Tebow style. Like, he's looking more to run than run, throw. Like a run-first type quarterback. But one of their receivers was really, really good last year, and I'm pretty sure he's back. And they have the James Madison coach who – Oh, he I, was, like, undefeated always, right? Yeah. yeah. So last year was his first year. So now they get another year under his belt. I mean, it's a team that you probably can't take lightly. But, again, UCF's just way more talented than these teams that you want to say is not going to be a problem, but you never know. What do you think about the rest of our schedule? I had Memphis pegged as probably our hardest game. Being on the road, they always give us trouble. Then, you know, Gainwell opts out of the season. What do you think about our remaining schedule? Who do you think is going to give us the most trouble? I would have to say Memphis. I mean, on the road in that stadium against Brady White's third year or starting, he's been around forever, it feels like. So they have a very experienced quarterback. They have DeMonte Coxie back, who's one of their who's a really, really good wide receiver. And they have a kid, Sean Dykes, who's their tight end, who absolutely lit it up in the first week they played. So, And no, I'm pretty sure the guy who replaced Gainwell is still a really good, talented I was, was going to say, so. I'm not getting my hopes up that much because every time they lose one of their best running backs, Henderson, Pollard, Patrick Taylor, they just have someone else right behind them. Ravel, I don't know if he's a good, just a good coach or a good running back recruiter or what, but they've always got talent, so we can't underestimate that. That was one of my predictions for this season is that they'll rush for 200 yards in the first half and we'll still beat them. Don't really want it to come true, but it's happened before. Pretty much what they did in the uh, conference championship. Yeah, and that's a tough place to play. I remember last year that stadium in the freezing cold was probably maybe a quarter full, and it was loud. It was really loud. So we can expect it to be a little bit of a home field advantage for them. I think they have like 25% tickets. They do, yeah. It's a eight-foot rule. I don't know what that means. I'm a season ticket holder. So. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be strictly enforced, I'm sure. I'm sh- I have a feeling because I have a one single ticket, even though it was supposed to be front row end zone, because of the thing of like clusters, they're probably going to put me just like way up in the, in the 300 level because it's better to put eight people in the front row than one and have eight feet all around them. Yeah. We'll have to see. Any other big takeaways after this first week? There was only really one top 25 loss. Miami beat Louisville in the game day game, and then Appalachian State lost, but I mean, that didn't even really matter anyway. What are your thoughts overall on the rest of the teams this year and the whole outlook of the season? Yeah, I mean, the season, the first couple of weeks, kind of a little dull without the SEC, and a lot of the Big 12 games kind of didn't really mean much. 
but now we're getting a full slate of SEC games. I think this week is when the season kind of really picks up, and we should get to know a lot about teams. I mean, that Miami-Louisville game was not the very most pretty game either. Uh, a lot of points, but it wasn't like it yeah. wasn't like a Chiefs Ravens shootout. Exactly. Yeah, I think Miami ran like a, a wheel to a running back, and Louisville just didn't cover the running back, and he had like seventy five yard touchdown, <laughs> like back to back drives. Like it was just very ugly because Dara King in his first game did not look good at all. I don't know if I would get my hopes up about how good Miami is yet, just because they uh, dominated Louisville on the road, but Louisville. they're still going to be an exciting team to watch with King. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for him to get a second chance. You know, I thought he he was going to have a legit shot at the Heisman, and then obviously the coaching change and everything kind of fell apart. But it'll be definitely fun to watch him. The rivals guy, Mike or whatever the guy that's in charge of that, said uh, he said something about UCF earlier, and then he doubled down on it and said he thinks we would lose to the Gators and Miami. Gators, I could see that being a close game, but Miami, I don't know. What do you What are your thoughts on that? I think they'd probably beat Miami. Florida, we haven't seen yet, so it's hard to kind of say anything, but Trask is back. Kyle Pitts is back. Uh, they're always a, sol- a really good defense, so it, it's hard to say they're just they're by far better than Florida. Like, you can't really make that statement. That's stupid. He was just trying to grab but, a headline. Yeah. But, I mean, I kind of just try to root for UCF. Like, I don't really <laughs> care about what Miami or Florida does. Like, I don't care who the best team in Florida is. Like, it's just whoever – like, if UCF goes undefeated, that's all I care about. Exactly. And that's, you know, control what you can control, right? And everyone's going to have their opinion on something. That's always going to be a polarizing topic. Until until there's like a Florida tournament or something every season, you can always make a case for either side because that's the whole thing about college football is there's no set system to decide who's better than whoever. It's who do you think the top four are and then let them play. But most of the time that conversation never gets settled and we just argue about it for the entire year. But that's kind of what makes college fun. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Everybody's fandom kind of takes set over everything else. So, it's- <laughs> Yeah, my fandom is definitely way, way higher than my common sense uh, of anything. But UCF's been so good recently that the two kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Anything else you want to talk about? The Georgia Tech game was a great start to the season. Uh, they probably won't play anybody nearly as – Memphis is probably – equally as talented if not more talented but mostly everybody they play they sh- is going to be worse than Georgia Tech so it was great to see them do so well and I liked how aggressive Hypo was early on in the game so that's a positive thing going forward love to see it man good stuff well hey thanks so much for joining us uh, we really appreciate your insight you're definitely way smarter than all of us about football and if you don't follow him already at squints 15 on Twitter I think you just put out a whole thread of like gifts from the game if I remember correctly, just a couple of Marlon Williams because I got to give him his credit. Big Marlon Williams fan. Uh, good stuff. So, yeah, follow, follow him. Check him out. SB Nation writer squints. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. We're back. Thank you, squints, again for joining the show. He now lives in southwest Florida. So we actually recorded that in person, which is, I don't know, kind of cool. Maybe one day, all three of us. First time ever. Yeah. All get to record together. Okay. Got a bunch of other segments to get to. We've got a Meanwhile to the West. Saw this coming from a mile away. USF taking the beat down by Notre Dame. 52 to nothing. Did you see that tweet by Christian Simmons? It's like, 
since USF did the, oh, to be the best, you got to schedule the best. They've been outscored like 100 to 7. Yeah. Versus teams. To be the best, you got to get beat by the best. So I, I remember you, uh, we pulled up the box score and we went down through each quarterback and they just kept getting worse as they got replaced. I'm a big Jeff Scott guy. I didn't think it was going to be this bad, but dang, it's that bad. <laughs> It'll it's going to get way worse, trust me. Don't they play just, they're Bama next dump. year? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And the funny anyway, the funny thing too is this buyout's only like a million bucks next year. So if they win 5 or 6 games and there's a bunch of P5 openings, they'll be gone anyway. Moving on. That's more than enough time we needed to spend on that team. Yes. Uh, Built by UCF update. So, talked about this earlier. Blake Bortles just signed with the Denver Broncos. Drew Locke uh, sprained his shoulder pretty bad. He's going to miss, I think they said, like three to six weeks. Jeff Driscoll, who played for the rival high school in Oviedo when Bortles was in high school, and then went to the Gators and didn't do anything. Although he kind of got a raw deal with the coaching at the time. But Driscoll's the backup, and he came in for Locke after he got hurt. Now they signed Bortles, so we've got a rivalry quarterback competition. And I'm just glad we can talk about Blake Bortles again. Dude, what are the odds? Two kids from Oviedo, the only two quarterbacks healthy on the Denver <laughs> Broncos roster. It's pretty wild. Pretty and crazy. Driscoll has no college experience. You know, Blake Bortles took us to the promised land. I'm thinking he beats him out. He's got that clutch gene that Driscoll never got to get a whiff of because they were in the, um, you know, like the Citrus Bowl versus Michigan every year or whatever. Uh, definitely exciting, but also Gabriel Davis, first career touchdown. He was also number seven on the top 10 Monday morning. I don't know if you caught that. Top 10 NFL plays on SportsCenter. Fingertip grab from Josh Allen rolling out first career touchdown. Congrats to Gabe. And then did you watch that Monday night game? I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw a couple nice catches and Tracon amazing, was, he was an amazing play. He, Someone calls Spicy. I don't he, know who, but <laughs> he was like Drew Brees go to though. He filled in for Michael Thomas. He took over the number one wide receiver role. He was clutch. You love to see it. You know, he's in his third year. With the Saints, could be coming up on a new contract or free agent deal soon. So it's important for him to show that he can take that kind of key role when the number one guy is injured and take that role on some other team, possibly. Definitely good to see. Uh, Saints got exactly. Saints got whooped though by the Raiders. The Vegas Raiders. Okay, it's time for our favorite segment, Money Moon. Picks of the week. Money moves picks of the week. 0-1 to start the season off with easily one of my worst picks ever. <laughs> Navy plus one against BYU, and they lost the game 55-3. to Wait, they I'm... lost by 52, just like USF did last week. Just saying. Exactly. Everything that I thought was going to happen in the game didn't. 
And I couldn't have been more wrong, but you know what? I'm owning up to it. I don't think I was wrong about Navy as a team. It was more of underestimating BYU. Navy did have a nice bounce back win against Tulane last week. So it's not like they're absolute garbage. It's they tough. Just... It's tough because of COVID. So we didn't know this came out just when the game happened, but they didn't even do contact in practice. Of course, they were going to get whooped. But we didn't know that. And you didn't know that. So COVID kind of messes everything up. You get a free pass. What do we have on the slate for this week, though? I need to make up for the money from Navy. Well, as I will say again, as I've said many a times, as convincing as I may sound in any of my picks, please bet responsibly and only use the same units on every pick, unless I say it's a slam dunk money in the bank winner, and I only bet those on UCF. So please be responsible. That worked out good this week. (laughs) Absolutely. Back to the normal schedule. We got three picks this week, and we're taking a trip to Underdog City. First pick is going to be Kansas State plus 28.5 at Oklahoma. Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler looked mighty impressive and threw four touchdowns in his debut win, but it was over Missouri State. Let's be real. Kansas State, on the other hand, lost their opener to Arkansas State as a 10.5-point favorite. Now they're getting 28.5, and and they can get last week behind them. Consider this a wake-up call. Kansas State owned the time of possession in the Arkansas State game and will try and slow the high-powered Oklahoma offense. I say take the points and hold on all the way to the fourth quarter, probably. Kansas State plus 28.5. So much. I hate spreads that big. They can run it up real quick. They could lose by 40, or it could be close, and you're like, wow, this is a no-brainer. What's the ECU spread? I think we're at 27 or 27 and a half, so it's a similar spread to that, but you're saying there's way less of a gap between the team's talent than there is between UCF and ECU, right? Well, it's not only that. It's that ECU still you know, has Holt and Ayers. Um, guy's going to throw it all over the place. You know, no matter what, he might throw for 400 yards, but still lose by 40. Right. So Kansas State, more of a rushing attack. Um, Oklahoma's going to put up the points, I'm telling you. And the, they, the Spencer they, Rattler guy is good. And Oklahoma but, traditionally doesn't have a good defense either. They'll put up 50, and it'll be 50 to 42 or something. Right. So there's absolutely no way Oklahoma's going to lose this game, but I just 28 and a half is a. Heck of a lot of points. That's like five scores. Okay, what do you got next? Our second. This is the game of the week, even though you should bet similarly on all games. (laughs) TCU plus two against Iowa State. Look, the wrong team is favored here. TCU at home. Their quarterback from last year, Max Dugan, has been cleared to play. May or may not start, but it doesn't really matter because they got two other guys that can all throw the ball. Also on defense, they returned four of their top five tacklers from last year. Bad news for Brock Purdy and the Cyclones here. Yes, Iowa State lost to Louisiana Lafayette 31-7, to 
on a couple of special teams touchdowns. Raging Cajuns. They were held scoreless in the second half, and they looked inept the entire game. So why is Iowa State favored? It makes no sense. TCU was 5-7 and seven last year. Not great, but not horrible. Terrible, yeah. And Iowa State is a terrible road team. They have a losing record on the road six of their last seven years. Ooh. Again, the wrong team is favored here. Take TCU. Plus two, sprinkle a little money line. Money line move. <laughs> and uh, it's better than, TCU plus two. It's better than public bet Pavlos. <laughs> All right, so we got two underdogs. What's your third and final pick this week? Third pick, we're going to go with Army, the Black Knights, plus 14 at Cincinnati. Ooh. I think Cincinnati is the most overrated team in the AAC. Yeah, I said it. Desmond Ritter is going to have his hands full with this much improved Army defense who's only given up seven points in its first two games. They've outscored opponents 79-7 to in those two. Army is going to have ball control and defense, keeping the ball out of Ritter's hands. My upset special of the week the official move pick is plus 14, but I'm telling you, go Money Lion, go Army, how much, taking down Cincy. How much would, uh, if I bet, get $10 Money Line parlay on these three, I bet it would pay, I don't know, 2000 bucks. You could do Money Line parlay, little TCU Army. I'm uh, down. Might pay like 10, 12, 15 to 1. I like it. I like it. All right, let's recap the picks real quick. Kansas State plus 28 and a half against Oklahoma. TCU plus two against Iowa State. And Army plus 14 at Cincinnati. Let's get, get that, that money. money. All right, cool. Last up, Moose Mailbag. This is where we answer all of our listeners' questions because we love you guys. What do we got first, Moose? All right, this one's from Nico K. Rico. How was it? How was it attending the game at Georgia Tech with limited fans in attendance and any smack talking from their fans before and or after the game? We talked about this earlier, but the game day experience was a lot better than I expected with the limited fans. Uh, obviously, you're going to have your problem fans that try and start crap. That's going to happen at any point. I think you would agree, but. For the most part, everyone was really nice, you know, Southern hospitality. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, I was I was getting into it a little bit with the the Guy couple behind guys us. behind us, yeah. but well, we were you know, we were it wasn't anything like out of hand or we, anything. We were standing up on top of our bleachers the whole time. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind of obnoxious sometimes. Well, they, they could have stood up too. Yeah. Okay. Next up, MD Night twenty sixteen. Which position group surprised you the most from the Georgia Tech game? Uh, that's kind of a hard question because I don't really think we had that many question marks coming into the game. I'd say maybe the wide receivers. You knew that Trey Nixon was bound to get better. You knew that Marlon was bound to get better. I, think I guess the, that really wasn't a surprise. I don't I, know. Well, so I would say probably the D-line. You know, Montalvo got in there, pretty much had a fumble recovery force for a touchdown, even though they called it back. 
They had uh, 88. I forget his name. The used car salesman or whatever. You know, he had the, the interception and the fumble recovery. And sell a car? Yeah, sell a car. <laughs> the used car salesman. Close enough. And um, I think the D-line really stepped it up. We had Tunye in on a bunch of stuff. Like I said, Charlton was playing sideline to sideline. And they were getting pressure and messing stuff up all game. So, But if you had to pick one, I don't think it's fair to the other ones because everyone played really, really well. All right, Moo, what's next? Next question is from Daniel Peterson. With both Flash Robinson and Marlon Williams having very solid games, how do you expect the wide receiver depth chart to shift if Trey Nixon is out for an extended amount of time? So let me preface my answer by saying I don't know what's up with Trey. I don't go on the message boards that much anymore. I hope he can come back this year. I honestly have no idea, so I apologize if I'm wrong. Who's going to step up? And, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Squints, but I think we're going to see some more Harris, Jacob Harris. Uh, Just depends on kind of what we're trying to do. He's not really a, uh, like, middle-of-the-field type guy, though. So we could see some stretch. I know we saw Ryan O'Keefe some. And, you know, like we said earlier, it's just a, it's the next man up mentality. The same thing is going to go for running back. I don't know what's up with McCray, but if you were to miss time, we still have Otis, we still have Bentavious. Trillion, we just found out, uh, towards Achilles. Not a good injury year. But, like I said, we're so deep at these skill positions that I'm not, obviously, it, it's these injuries are terrible. I mean, they're career altering but at the same time i'm not worried about the talent that's going to step up to replace them because we've shown for the last four years that we're just so deep everywhere yeah i think the same thing a little bit of harris maybe a little more otis in the passing game that's true um we can maybe a one-two punch of mccray and bentavious depending on mccray's ankle we did that last Um, year i think when when mccray was hurt for kind of the second half of the season we saw a lot of otis split out in 10 personnel i was able to talk to mccray after the game and i asked him if he was all right as he walked to the bus his answer was yeah so this just this just he's good good. (laughs) it's a sprained ankle right probably not gonna be back this week we probably don't need him this week so why rush it Right. Whoa, that like opened up a whoa. That like opened up a whole new thing. Like, oh, what if we don't need him? What if we rest Dylan? All right, relax. Well, just like we rested KZ. Tristan Hill on the bench in the Fiesta Bowl. Oh. I mean, 27 and a half, maybe Quadri getting the start? He does need the reps. Quadri, highest all time passer rating in the history of college football. Wouldn't hurt his eligibility. It's pretty crazy that KZ could play this year and next year. This whole year's crazy. Okay. KZ starting next week? (laughs) I don't know. Could go wild with this. Crazy hypotheticals. Anyway. Next up. Last question from CA Crush. With the next man up being important, who is new and who should we keep an eye out for? Selizcar was a surprise. Who else? Moo, what do you think? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that was a huge surprise. Right? Uh, if he can keep that up for this year, I mean, who knows? Um, I don't really want to think about the next man up, to be honest, because that means I'm thinking about an injury. 
or the, so, the last man down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess I'll stick to the positives and the stable of running backs that we have. So Demarius Good, who I mentioned for our season preview, also got a couple of carries along with Johnny Richardson. So those are two freshmen that I think you'd step right up. We wouldn't miss a beat in our offense. As far as the defense, I don't think Gene Baptiste got into the game this past week. I haven't had a chance to rewatch it yet, but there's another guy who can step right up, fill a hole if needed. Yeah, definitely. You got Morris Brash. Charlton had a game of his life. Tunye. You could just keep rattling Montalvo. Used car salesman. You could go on. Sell his car. (laughs) But why? I don't know. (laughs) Sell his car. All right, I got that. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. We're deep at every position. Love to hear it. Good position to be in. So we've got this week at ECU, back on the road, short week of practice because we travel again. Then next week, home opener versus Tulsa. Are you going to that one? So I haven't decided yet. I think after this game, you're kind of leaning maybe toward it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I want to make sure we win this game to see if I'm going to go up. But just like the rest of us, I've been super busy, man. You know, with COVID and everything, it's been very difficult to plan anything. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see I'm, probably, I'm probably going to go. You're probably going to go. <laughs> Well, let's uh, but, uh, let's let's run up together then, possibly, because I'm right. I'm also down to get out of there as fast as possible, and I know you're big on that. On so so let's go back to the Atlanta trip, actually. Um, Saturday, so our flight was 11 a.m. on Sunday. Our flight home from Atlanta, and that was at noon. Whatever, it was close to that. If you could have rewound to Saturday and asked me what should I do with my flight, I would have moved it back to Sunday night. Because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to wake up that early. And then Sunday morning, I woke up. And I was like, this kind of sucks, but it's good we can get it over with. And then next thing I know, I'm sitting on my couch at 2 p.m. Watching a full slate of NFL games. Thank you, Moo, for making us take the early flight. Yeah, I felt terrible the whole day. (laughs) I like a mid-flight panic attack. My water ran out. And then, you know, having the mask on, I like couldn't breathe. It's it's not good. And then you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands, my eyes, my face. I, I, I know I know the feeling of a panic attack. It's not fun. <laughs> On a whopping one hour and 15 minute flight. It back felt, to Fort Myers. That flight felt like it was three hours long, though. It did. And I started talking to the, the lady next to me or girl or whatever. And I was like, do I have to keep talking? The anxiety was through the roof. It was not good. It was not a good situation. Definitely was nice to be back at home. Oh, actually, nothing like getting home to a broken air conditioning. That's a whole other story. But fun. Uh, yeah, everything's good. We got it all fixed up. Heck of a weekend, though, man. That's the game we had circled. You know, when when the schedule first comes out, we always pick. You know, there's the one away game, whether it's Michigan, Maryland, whatever. There's one that everyone wants to go to. This year it was Georgia Tech. Last year or the year before, whatever it was, North Carolina. Didn't get to do that. Somehow we pulled out this game. Still really not sure how, but it was a great time and uh, glad we did it. Got anything else to add? Yeah, it was awesome. Just want to thank everybody who came out with us. Big thank you to Big Sky 
DJ Chisel, a whole ton of people that came up to me and said, you sound just like this on, on my, uh, AirPods. Yes. Shout so out. That's good that I have a, shout a nice out, radio voice. Shout out to Big Sky. You got a face for radio too. Shout out to Big Sky for hosting the Black and Gold Party. That's very cool of them to put that on. They didn't have to do that. COVID and everything. That was very cool of them to host a party. And uh, it was a good time. Oh, just one other quick tidbit of info that I came across today. So East Carolina hasn't had a game yet, but I was looking at some of the preseason unit rankings, and actually they're ranked 127th in run defense. So I think it's time that the running backs are going to have a day. Yo, speaking of units, how about that Georgia Tech punter? Absolute unit. (laughs) That guy was crazy. I think the Athletic ran a piece on him this week. Absolute unit. Uh, yeah, that that's all I gotta add. Uh, ECU sucked. We should be fine. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, it's UCF. The cardiac score match. prediction. Score prediction. All right, score prediction. Then we're done. Uh fifty. No. Forty-seven. Uh, six. I'm gonna at? go with forty-nine seventeen, and no. The reason I'm not taking the spread is because the power ranks and projected line were too close to what the actual line was. So there's really no value. We're probably going to win by about four touchdowns, give or take. It's really not worth like sweating it out over one like trash score at the end. They could always backdoor cover. The last time we played them, I think it was like 42 to 28. And the game was never that close. It's just because we had in our backups the entire second half and we let them score a little bit. Oh, yeah. I remember actually last year. It was after I had a bet on whoever East Carolina was playing and that's what I told said earlier. Holton Ayers, he doesn't care. He throws it all over the place. He's still throwing it way downfield and they were... I bet the other team like minus (laughs) 20-something and the East Carolina backdoor covered. It was after a UCF game. I was at the hotel like dead half sleep <laughs> and i watched that ah <laughs> uh, whatever it happens so that's live, why i'm not live, taking ucf today live, live this week learn. um it's it's tuesday night we're recording probably between now and when you listen to this i'll still bet on ucf just because i don't know playing with house money but yeah thank you for listening we will see you guys at the tulsa game in two weeks And, you know, be safe. Love you guys. Good night. Charge on.
Dominate Nation. Dominate Nation. <laughs>